0: Ever felt judged at the gym?
1: You don't know how to use the leg curl machine? <laughs> Are you serious? This is your first day alive. Oh, um... <laughs> no. it's okay. I love helping people during their
0: first day on Earth. At Planet Fitness, get energy without the judgment and join the judgment-free zone. Never intimidating. Always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. Get energized today during the Big Fitness Energy Sale for $0.24 down, $10 a month. Cancel anytime. time. Deal ends Friday, January 12th. See Home Club for details. We made this.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, it was a cold-blooded, premeditated murder.
3: Hello everyone, this is the Red and Mary podcast, but things are a little different this week sarah rudely decided to take a holiday with her family who she hasn't seen in five years i know her priorities are completely out of whack so our next episode is going to be a little later than planned this month however i didn't want to leave you with nothing on the first friday of the month so i thought i'd give you a taste of my new podcast in case you missed our last episode the labors of hercule is presented by me and the ever so wonderful adam roach Go and give that episode a listen if you want to get to know him better. It's a lot of fun. In the labours of Hercule, we'll be taking a deep dive into every episode of Agatha Christie's Poirot, that masterpiece of television starring the incomparable David Suchet, and giving you the clues you need to solve the case. Our first episode, however, is simply a gush fest over how much Adam and I love all aspects of the show, Suchet, and Agatha Christie in general. From episode two onwards, it's more about the clues and solving the cases with a hefty dollop of gushing on the side. If you like to challenge your little grey cells while revelling in the perfection of David Suchet's Poirot, as well as the genius of Agatha Christie, this is the podcast for you. If you like it, hopefully you'll head over and subscribe to The Labours of Hercule wherever you get your podcasts. If you don't, fear not, we'll be back to our regularly scheduled programming very soon. For now, have your moustache pomade at the ready, and let's get into some hot Suchet action. Enjoy, mon ami.
4: Bonjour. <laughs>
3: <laughs> can you do a Poirot impression?
4: Um, about as well as anyone else can, apart from David Suchet.
3: I don't know. I think you can do it better. I want to hear you do it. Uh, I
4: could probably walk like him. Good <laughs> <With> the coin. <laughs> the coin
3: you could say he coined the E. Hey. <laughs> you shouldn't say that no one should say that you're on fire <laughs> no you're very generous with your fire thank you
4: i've got a question for you then okay how much do you love david Suchet's poirot it's
3: impossible to quantify isn't it
4: no you have to you have to quantify it in one word
3: entirely
4: entirely nice what about you yeah i was gonna say entirely as well no, I don't know what to say. Well, you I'm actually. <laughs> Absolument. Oh, that's better. Is that a French that's word? Good. Or is that a Belgian word?
3: Doesn't really matter, does it? French, Belgian. It's all good. Don't say that
4: to Poirot. <laughs>
3: <laughs> no, they speak, he speaks French, but he just, you know, unless you know the Flemish for it.
4: I don't even think Belgians know the Flemish for it. No.
3: Depends what part of Belgium you're in. Have you ever been to Belgium?
4: No. Have you?
3: Yeah, it's really cool.
4: That doesn't surprise me. You have a Poirot tattoo.
3: I have. Three Poirot tattoos.
4: you think you're more qualified to talk about David Suchet's Poirot than I am?
3: I don't think that's true.
4: Well, I think you are. Um, I've seen the video of your wedding.
3: Yes. When I married David Suchet. <laughs> Sadly not.
4: <laughs> I love him very much. You've seen him live as well, haven't you?
3: Okay, that makes it sound like I'm watching him right outside his house a lot. <laughs> and it's not as much as you'd think. Um, I've, <laughs> I've seen him do his Poirot and me thing. And I've seen him in conversation and I've seen him in a couple of plays and a, a book signing. It does sound like I'm stalking him, actually, now that I'm listing this <laughs> off. <laughs> I've seen him in bed.
4: I've seen him <laughs> through
3: the window. I've seen him in the shower.
4: I've seen him on the toilet.
3: I was just, if they're not going to make any more episodes, then where am I supposed to get my content from? My viewing pleasure.
4: <laughs> I watch him as he drives.
3: That's a lovely thing from his book, isn't it? About how he used the same driver the whole time he was filming Poro, who used to was a taxi driver on his first day and that's really nice.
4: Or is a cheapskate.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I like to think he paid him, but you never know, I suppose.
4: This is obviously going to be a show dedicated to... To the David Suchet Poirot TV show, which is the greatest TV show of all time. Mm-hmm. Do you have a statement regarding that?
3: Uh, I agree entirely. Entirely seems to be the theme of the day. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean this this is it's an undisputed fact. I would say. Mm-hmm.
4: Did you watch it from the beginning? Because you're quite a way younger than I am. So I'm not sure.
3: Yeah, I am. I am uh, about 400 years younger than you, mm-hmm. give or take.
4: So so are all trees. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Count the rings um i was yeah i was three when the series started okay and so i came to it probably a bit later than you know because the whole like still struggling to keep my head upright and walk and all that kind of stuff keeping me busy occupying my time
4: that comes back in life by the way
3: <laughs> oh god really
4: <laughs> yeah. is that
3: why you're like yeah, your head's walking. shaking around all over the place like a bobblehead? Yeah. so
4: you discover beer it's like you become a an infant again
3: like a nodding dog yeah so yeah i came to it late and then became obsessed with it as i i think it grew up with it essentially from there but obviously not from the beginning so it was just it was always on itv hmm. in, wasn't it where we are in the uk and i've always been interested in angela christie because my dad had all the books and i had all the book covers and the spines and i just studied them all the time and just fascinated and then what after that whole learning to read thing really kicked off i uh, picked them up and read them hmm. and loved them and yeah and the rest is just uh beginning of my love story with the show. Mm. How about you?
4: Um, I'm very cool, because I remember...
3: Oh, everyone knows that, of course. You're sat backwards on a chair right now, so... Yeah,
4: (laughs) I'm (laughs) sat upright. Can you believe it? Um, I watched it when it first aired. It was 89 it was on, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. So I was 13, um, and I watched the very first episode, Adventure of the Clapham Cook, Mm -hmm. on a Sunday evening. I think it was like 8 o'clock or something. And the next day, because I'm really... Very cool. I went into school and asked if any of my contemporaries had seen Faro last night.
3: Hey, fellow kids!
4: Believe it or not, they
3: have. <laughs> skateboard under your arm, monocle,
4: yeah.
3: <laughs> on the under-
4: in summer. <laughs> so I was desperately, desperately on call and watched Poirot. No one at school watched Poirot. Um, but I remember watching The Dream, which I think is the last episode of Series 1, Yeah. and going into school. And I was like, please tell me someone watched The Dream. It was amazing. And no one had. So Surely the
3: teachers were like, oh, I did.
4: <laughs> Not you. Um, so it's really nice after 80 years, mm-hmm. whatever it was, when I was a child, to finally talk to someone about the dream. I know we're ten episodes away, but
3: It'd be a that's going to be
4: quite a moment. Oh, my God, such good episode. Hmm. Yeah. To do a mixture of French
5: and Belgian, but I also need to speak English. So I listen to English-speaking Belgian radio, English-speaking French radio. Now, once I'd done that, I couldn't use my own voice. I mean, listen to my voice. It's down here. But Poirot is a head voice. So... What I had to do was start with my voice down here, think a little bit about French accent, something like that, and talking, and then you have the cathedral sounds of the Flemish here coming, and then you mix the Flemish with the French, and it sounds something like this, a little like that, but you raise your voice slightly, and it goes to the chest, and then it goes to the throat, and then you put in the little Belgian, the little French, up, up,
2: up, and there you are, you have Hercule Poirot.
4: So uh, what's your favourite episode stand out so far? Well, you know, from the whole series. Oh, God. What are you looking forward to seeing? Well, hold
3: on, just series one or just in the whole run of the whole thing The series? whole thing. God, it's yeah. so hard. Like, I mean, I don't have children, but they say it's like picking a favourite children, even though I'm fairly certain everyone's got a favourite, but anyway.
4: I have, yeah. Do you, really? Mm. You, have to
3: tell, you can tell me off, cam- off camera, off mic. No, I'll tell you on
4: camera. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. They won't listen to this anyway it's not on tiktok
3: <laughs> i have a few favorites um mm-hmm. because they're all there's just there's such a rich catalog it's and this um the writing isn't everything's is perfect about it obviously all the time um mm-hmm. the writing the acting the sets everything's just a dream um but yeah the early ones they are very special to me i love things like dumb witness that one is mm-hmm. a, a cracker mainly because it's got a great dog in it as well bob
2: bob the dog bob the dog <laughs> <laughs> Hastings
3: what
4: make of Doug is this a uh, fox terrier
3: and started David Touche's personal love affair with the well, the wire hair fox terrier I believe he got one after
4: I hope it wasn't like a personal love affair <laughs>
3: <laughs> why are you so judgmental about people's love <laughs> just let him let him live and he's a national treasure he can do whatever he to <laughs> whoever that's he wants that's why
4: he's always travelling
3: he's always escaping to his narrow boat to escape me <laughs> 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 I'm paddling after him <laughs> um but yeah, uh, I the dumb witness. Um, some of the early ones. I actually rewatched um, Problem at Sea. God, that one is so good. It's a doll. Yes, a doll. Except
2: this doll is an important witness to the truth of who killed Madame
3: Clapperton. They're all so good, and in the later ones, obviously they get they get the production value. We'll talk about it as we go, of course, but the production value just increases and increases, and the budgets go up, and the actor names get bigger and bigger. So they get they become much more what's um, more feature film esque, I suppose, in a lot of ways. But uh, some of the later ones are great. I thought the Labors of Hercules our namesake to a degree mm. um was really 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 good really haunting and creepy and dark um but well, there's so many i can't even possibly yours your favorite is the dream you said
4: yeah my favorite is the dream only because it's there's a there's a real really clever puzzle at the center of it yeah it's a like a locked room mystery sort of mm. how was this murder committed and i remember sort of about halfway through thinking oh i've got the gestation of an idea and I, it was in it was like my little gray cells came to life and and I managed to work it out, and I was like, I really hope this is right, and then it, I was right, and I was like, I'm so proud of myself, I'm so pleased with myself, and then I just <laughs> fell in love with all like the Christie stories after that, because I was like, oh, I need to yeah. solve them, see if I can do it. And I don't manage it many times, I'm mean, honest with you.
0: I have the same dream, night after night. I'm sitting in my room next to this, sitting at my desk writing there's a clock in there I look up at it I see the time it is exactly 28 minutes past 12 always the same time you understand when I see the time Poirot I know I've got to do it at 28 minutes past 12 I open the second drawer down on the right of my desk i take out a revolver i load it then i go over to the window and then i shoot myself i just lift the gun to my head and shoot myself
3: because you can't, no one can match her genius. She's, no. Uh, she was an unbelievable brain.
4: She gets the balance so right between giving you the clues you need mm. and obscuring them enough so that they're not impossible to, yeah, yeah she's she's unsurpassed.
3: Yeah, so she's quite good, Angus Christie. Yeah,
4: she's all right.
3: She's pretty good, yeah, yeah. Sold quite a few copies and all that. She's Yeah, yeah pretty... it's
4: like 40,000 books she's sold now, isn't it? Yeah,
3: yeah. like one of the biggest <laughs> selling authors of all time, I think.
4: <laughs> I'm getting it was- it's like four billion, isn't it? Four billion books. Something, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know, you were joking. Um, yeah, no,
3: it's, she's the best.
4: You said, do you remember her books as well?
3: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I have I have them all, obviously. And yeah, I read them. And obviously, the, I just the cover art as well. This is a whole, we could do a whole separate.
4: This is what I was going to say. Mm-hmm. The cover art for me when I was growing up was, I used to see Agatha Christie books in bookshops yeah. and in secondhand shops and places. And they were always like these really disturbing visual images like a skull with a spider coming out of the eye or like yeah. you know a shot through a drink or something and then there's a dagger on the side and um i remember those books and the alfred hitchcock books being that kind of same ugh, horrible imagery as, as a child so those two names for me were always really sinister As I was growing up, and it's only since, you know, reading them and exploring them and watching his films and things that you realise...
3: Well, it's Tom Adams as the artist, wasn't it, behind a lot of her later Mm. covers, in the 70s covers. Like, they are... They're terrifying, and they're so, like... Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the stories themselves, that's the thing about Agatha Christie, and one of the reasons why why it continues to be such a big hit all over the world is because it's a murder show you can watch in a Sunday afternoon and your whole mm. family can watch it and it's you know it's scary to a degree but it's it's family friendly there's no blood mm. even in the books there's really no blood it doesn't ever get gory or gratuitous in any mm. sort of way Um so the covers were you think holy we're not going to swear on this podcast are we <laughs> <laughs> probably shouldn't I'm not used to being censored on my one I just I have a mouth like a sailor so, right? <laughs> I'll be good.
4: Well, that's a good that's a good way to uh, tee you up then. So why don't you tell everyone who you are and what else you do?
3: Okay. Hi everyone. <laughs> <laughs> you've been listening to me ramble already my name is Frankie uh, I have another podcast that I do as well called the red and buried podcast where I host it with my my dear friend Sarah and we talk about crime books and we speak to authors and just generally chat a lot of rubbish and with uh, very low brow reviews of very well-written books probably is the best way to describe it
4: oh, I'd say highbrow definitely <laughs> I love your show
3: that's very kind. Well, obviously I'm a huge fan of your hundreds of shows that you do and hundreds of pieces of content you put out all the time. And I'm going to say, Adam, why don't you introduce yourself? But everyone probably knows who you are already if they're listening to this. It'd be silly. But let's do it anyway for uh, fun. Well,
4: I'm Adam and i created the Secret History of Hollywood podcast. That's my main gig. And the Attaboy Clarence podcast, which is like my side gig. And I'm a quarter of the House of Hammer. And I'm on a show called All the Best Lines and... I do writing and things. It's like I'm, I'm around in all kinds of different media. But yeah, anyway, I hate having an inactive brain. Well, I don't think you could <laughs> if you tried. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm now half of this show as well. The Labours yeah, of Cool.
3: Very excited.
4: Which, as you said, takes its name from the mini series. I want to call it a mini series of stories she did. It was Mm -hmm. in the collection, wasn't it? I think it was like 10 stories. Yeah. But um, I remember when they were nearing the end of the run with David Suchet and they were like, we've only got three stories left. And I remember thinking... No, you've got Labours of Hercules is like 10, and then you've got Curtain, then you've got Big Four yeah. and stuff, and I was thinking, no, there's loads left. And then they very cleverly combined all 10 stories, didn't they, into like one... Mega story. ...episode, full-length episode. Yeah. And I remember being really trepidatious by it, because I loved The Labours of Hercules. I think that was a great collection of stories, and I was thinking, oh, they don't... Missed them out but they they were very very wise with what they did
3: oh 100% mm. yeah the the last episodes although heartbreaking to have to sit through because mm. it meant the end but they were so well done and it's just yeah and it, that's the thing even though I've read The Labors of Hergies watching it was a completely different experience but in a positive way which is so rare with an adaptation of something that you love that you mm. actually really love it and enjoy it and is perfectly done
4: that's the thing about this series the quality never dips does it no even like the first series which is 10 episodes yeah and they're all under an hour and they obviously there are a lot of short story so it was yeah rich pickings in terms of mm. stories to tell but um like I said even the early ones I mean if anything the early ones are kind of more beautiful in a way they're not as slick yeah they're very well produced and because they were done in the 80s there was you were only like 50 years outside of the time they were set so most of the architecture and streets and everything don't look modern at all so they were still a bit untouched
3: yeah that's the thing and then there are some sets that are still some buildings and things they use that are still around and still with that beautiful art deco
6: mm.
3: architecture surbiton station which features in um, ventures of clapham cook mm-hmm. which is n- quite near where i live so that's always exciting when i go past that on the train
4: In clapham common not just over the road from the house in this the main the house i mean when when he rocks up to the house in the car, yeah, and they go through the gate and into the house. I mean, the just even the the wall decorations and the, the tiling on the floor and everything, you can tell it's a holdover from Victorian times. And that's like, oh, I love
3: it so much. <laughs> and, and you make a good point as well because I, I read in his book that they, the first series they spent five million on the first 10 episodes, that's um, which was, an ex- yeah, especially for the 80s. That's mm. like what today's money, like five. 100 billion pounds or something i'm not good with (laughs) currency something uh,
4: like that yeah by today's (laughs) currency it might be about 30 quid (laughs)
6: that's true (laughs) but yeah
3: you you can see that it's so rich and Mm. just the everything about it's just perfect i think i think his budget um the majority of the budget went on his moustaches for the first 10 Mm. episodes as well because (laughs) it's so rich and textured
4: well i suppose we better say a word about the uh, recurring cast that we're going to see at least for the next 40-something episodes. Um, Obviously, the man himself, David Suchet. um, I mean, what a perfect piece of casting. I mean, it's it's, it's like he was born to play that part. What do you think of him? This is
3: the thing. There have been so many portrayals of Poirot on the screen, and they've all been mm. fine.
4: I know you're particularly fond of Kenneth Branagh, aren't you?
6: <laughs> you said we weren't going to swear on this
3: podcast. <laughs> um, best we don't. I don't get into that uh, that dark, dark period in our history. But um, the, let's go back to the originals. Like Albert Finney, mm. um, Peter Ustinov. Like they're all good in their own way. Mm. But David DJ is the is the definitive. Mm. Hercule I think in terms of the way that Agatha Christie wrote him, the look of him, the way everything. He, he, he did his research and you can, you can tell.
4: Oh my god, yes. Yeah. Even down to the pound coin.
3: <laughs> You're gonna have to explain the pound coin to people that don't know.
4: <laughs> well, in his book, Poirot and Me, he talks about how he perfected the Poirot walk, which he describes as a mince.
3: I think she did in her book as well,
4: the mince. Yeah, I think it's it's like Poirot mince It's very quick steps, legs close together. And he said he achieved it consistently by inserting a pound coin between his um, bum cheeks (laughs) and keeping it there and walking around. And if you think about it, it's like pretty genius. It is. (laughs) Because... It, even when he was walking up and downstairs, he had to walk a certain way to keep it there. Otherwise, you would have
6: heard a <laughs> clink.
3: Ding. Poirot's walk was so
1: famous, and you had an unusual way with a coin of getting that—a little technique.
5: You have a wonderful way of putting it. Now, I, I actually put a coin in between the cheeks of my buttock, and walked in a way that I couldn't let the coin drop. Detailed and descriptive mm. in the book.
6: Wow. So, so- he,
5: he's actually, he crossed the lawn in his rapid mincing gait. Mm. That was the, the line, so isn't it? I had to try and find that to, to keep it in the character mm. of Poirot as well. So if anybody's trying to imitate it, then get a coin and Slip it Pop down it your buttocks there. and see how I, you get on. I wouldn't recommend. It.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Just never ask David Suchet if he has change, because <laughs> give it a rinse first, doesn't it? But no, clearly worth every worth every penny. <laughs>
4: <laughs> All hundred of them. <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
3: Yeah, no, he's perfect.
4: There's a the thing when it comes to Sherlock Holmes, for instance. People say that Basil Rathbone is the ideal Holmes, and he definitely. If you think mm-hmm. of Holmes, you, you think of at least that sort of image. But they say that Jeremy Brett is the purist's version mm-hmm. because not only did he look like him, he kind of, you know, he's more faithful to the character. I think that you can't fault David Suchet's Poirot one bit. He looks exactly like he's described. Yes, and he. It's, hard, it's weird to say, but it's it's almost like he, he's better than Agatha Christie's description of the way Poirot acts. It's like, he's too
3: good to be true. Yeah,
4: it's incredible.
3: What, I actually have a description of him here from Agatha Christie's book where he says, I am five feet, four inches high. My head, it is egg shaped and I carry it a little to one side, the left. My eyes, I am told, shine green. That's the only thing that's different because he had brown, very dark eyes, David Suchet. Um, shine green when I'm excited. <laughs> so cute. Um, my boots are patent leather, smart and shiny. My stick is embossed with a gold band. Actually, I think a stick is silver in the series. So, well, oh, there's filling oh, holes. Forget everything I've just said. Then. <laughs> Cancel this stupid podcast, sort <laughs> of waste um, My watch is large and keeps my time exactly. My moustache is the finest in all London. Very true. See, that, and it, I could hard to argue that. Perfection. Mm.
5: Then, I was approached by the producer, Brian Eastman, and I was asked uh, if I had read a lot of, uh, or any of Agatha Christie, and I, to my shame, I said no. And um, he said, have you heard of a character called Hercule Poirot? And I said, oh yes, I've, I, yeah, I've seen him on the, on the screen, Peter Euston off Albert Finney. And he said, well, we're really seriously considering making a series, uh, would you like to do it? And we, you you are our first choice. And gradually, one thing led to another, and I got the books, and I started reading, and I, I rang my brother, John, who I, I know is here tonight, um, uh, because he's always wise, my older brother. <laughs> and I said, um, do you know Agatha Christie? He said, yes, of course I know Agatha Christie. Do you know Hercule Poirot? Yes, of course I know Hercule should I? I've i just been offered the possibility of playing it, and I just wondered what you would think. And he said, what? I said, well, I just wondered what you might think of it. He said, oh, God, don't touch it with a barge pole.
4: (laughs) The moral of that story, never listen to your elder brother. Um, And then, obviously, playing his loyal friend, Captain Hastings, the marvellous Hugh Fraser. Amazing. Again, it's like you couldn't ask for anyone more perfect, really, could you? I've seen lots of Hastings in different things, and they're all kind of... They're a bit too rough and tumble and you could say that Hugh Fraser plays it a little bit Nigel Bruce-ish and like a little bit bumbling, maybe, but um, I think it makes him more lovable. I don't mind a bumbling psychic because it's nice to have the clever one explain things to him sometimes so that you get
3: them But he's he's meant to represent us, right? Mm. <laughs> the people, the dum-dums <laughs> watching. Be <laughs> like, what, what does it all mean, Poirot? I think the reason why it works so well that Hugh Fraser plays it so well is because he is bumbling and he's quite stupid and definitely we'll get into it in future episodes. Definitely is distracted very easily by women, mm-hmm. um, but he <laughs> plays his bumblingness straight. He's not doing it for comedic effect. There is a no. comedic effect, mm. but he, he is, it's so genuine. His kind of, his awe and surprise and, you know, learning of what's happening. It's all very, feels very authentic with him, I think. And he's such a gentleman.
4: Yeah, he is. That's a crucial thing as well because of the era it's set, you can tell he's he has had military service as well, so he's he's got this aura about him, he's refined and he likes what he likes and he likes cars. And you
3: know. What a lad! Yeah, he's a
4: proper lad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Poirot mysteries do require a certain element of physicality sometimes, and it's great to have some, Hugh Fraser playing. Um, Captain Hastings for those moments where someone needs to be chased down, or you know, or they need a fast yeah. car, or uh, yeah, there's a problem to be solved, and uh, Poirot doesn't want to get his gloves dirty or something like that. So or
3: his boot, his shoes, mm. his shiny shoes. Yeah, no. <laughs> and Hastings all tall and yeah, he he can run and he loves driving. Poirot hates driving. They're, they're polar opposites, but it's so well balanced, isn't it? Like they, yeah, they love each other such as a well. Rich... It? <laughs> <laughs> Even when Poirot is saying something incredibly cutting. Mm. And judgmental of him, you can tell it's done with love, and it's almost like out of a disappointed parent when Hastings says something really stupid. It's like, oh. but it, there is <laughs> for its <laughs> sake, but the love is there, and yeah, and it's yeah reciprocated. Clearly, we stand them. Is that what the kids we do uh, <laughs> And
1: scrambled eggs, was it?
2: Certainly, and the little sausages.
1: Oh yes, sir.
2: Devil's kidneys.
1: Kidneys, yes. What about bacon? Crisp, of course. And tea. Or a nice pint of home brew.
2: Beer? For breakfast? Two pints, please. But Hastings, we've got to be back before twelve.
4: Plenty of time. And then we go to the other occupant of Whitehaven Mansions, which is Miss Lemon, played by Pauline Moran, who terrified me as a child because she played the original Woman in Black in the eighty nine. Same year as well. What a year for her.
3: Wow. Great um, year. Yeah,
4: God. Um, She played the woman in black in the TV adaptation of that, which was, Mm. was, remains to this day, the most terrifying thing I've ever seen in my life.
3: It is truly terrifying. I've seen it before.
4: But yeah, so she plays Miss Lemon, who is not only Poirot's secretary, but also... A crossover character from another Agatha Christie series. Did you know that?
3: Don't know that I did.
4: She played um, the secretary to Mister Parker Pine. Oh. Also. same character, yes. And then she went to work for Mister Poirot.
3: Well, when you've got a character as strong as Miss Lemon, you might as well get everything you can out of her. Get your money's worth because yeah, she's amazing, <laughs> and she's she's. She's his secretary, and she sorts his life out, and she keeps him in check, and keeps his ego in check a lot of the time. And also she does <laughs> much needed. She's
4: very withering. She's probably the only one actually. He can fire something at her, and she can just take him down as well. <laughs> yeah,
3: hundred <She's> like, <laughs> percent. And she's a little bit brighter than Hastings. I think he he appreciates, which is probably why he takes it from her because she's smart enough to do it. Poor Hastings. <laughs> Poor Hastings. <laughs> H- he's look. He's got a lot of other strengths. Mm. He he can drive.
6: That's it <laughs>
4: <laughs> no he's
3: we obviously love Hastings, but yeah, you know, yeah. Miss Lemon and him have a unique relationship, and she she knows he's insane and weird and he's got his little little quirks and things and she's just totally accepting of it to a degree and she but she's also very she's quite fastidious herself in a lot of ways, you know organized and meticulous and yeah
4: her her main mission in life is to develop the perfect filing system. <laughs> So, what a noble mission which she does over the course of the series. Oh,
1: spoilers! God, I even oh, play sorry.
4: It. <laughs> <laughs> no! That's her <laughs> character arc ruined.
1: It's nearly complete. You see, my system. Ah, uh. every one of your cases classified and cross-referenced five different ways. Five? Oh yes. In this cabinet, what? names of witnesses. In this, name of perpetrator, if known. Victim, trade, or profession. Type of case abduction, addiction, adultery, see also under marriage, bigamy, see also under marriage, bonds,
4: see also under marriage.
3: And what about the last one?
4: Yeah, you tell us about him,
3: <sighs> Inspector Jap.
4: This is the coolest thing we get to talk about. This,
3: I, I know, I'm, I'm not lost on me how exciting this is. I'll
4: tell you what, we should totally record this and make a podcast. of
3: <laughs> oh, I see you're making a joke, it's very funny.
4: <laughs> yeah, thank you very much. <laughs>
3: Sorry, I'm slow. I'm the Hastings of this duo, really. <laughs> um, yeah. So what do you think of Inspector Jaff? I've talked loads about my gushing of all of them. <laughs> I've gushed all over them. That sounded terrible.
4: <laughs> um, Philip Jackson. That's what I love about this whole thing. Is the four main characters who anchor it mm. are just so likeable. Yes. So, and, but as well, they don't just start off a certain way and stay there. like They develop yeah. in incredible ways. As the series goes on, there's a really fantastic episode. I can't remember the name of the story right now. But there's one where um, Jap goes on a speaking tour.
6: Yes. And, yes. And, and oh he's God. talking
4: about his past cases. Yes. And, and Poirot is really upset by it because, you know, why is he going out telling people – he's claimed all my games, and then i won't I won't spoil it because we'll get yeah. to that episode but there's a certain moment in it where jap reveals a certain truth about his career mm-hmm. in to to an auditorium and it's one of the most beautiful moments ever Suchet is completely annoyed and angry and
6: yeah
4: about to leave and then he hears this this thing that he's saying and and it's like, oh, they're, they're like a little family. They
3: are completely, yeah. And that's the thing with, and it's the classic kind of trope with these kinds of things where you've got a detective that's not a part of the police force, but they're coming in and they're solving murders. And it's like, it's, it's that thing of the police often, and Hastings to a degree, Hastings, goodness, Jap to a degree, is a little bit like, oh, for heaven's sake, can you keep your nose out of this fire? Jesus, we're trying to do our police work. Um, but respect him infinitely and recognizes his genius and knows that actually he needs him a lot of the time with a bit of reluctance. He loves to tease him as well. Like they have a really good teasing relationship between the two of them, I would say, because yeah, it's, it's fun. It's all in good humor because Jap is also the most British man on the planet. Like
4: he's working class as well. Yeah. And whereas the others aren't really, are they? Apart from no, name.
3: that's true. Actually. I hadn't considered that.
4: He's like bangers and mash guy. And you know, he's got a, an old raincoat, big old moustache and pipe and things like that. And the rest of it, he, I think he likes visiting their world almost. Oh. He, ascending to the heavens. What, 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 There's
3: an episode later on. I think it's, um, which one is it? God, that's that's going to drive me crazy. But it's the one where he stays at Poirot's flat for a while Ooh. and he uses the Day. <laughs> he doesn't know what it's for. <laughs> and he's like washing his face with the Day <laughs> and Poirot's horrified <laughs> when he tells him. <laughs> it's so good I also think I think that same episode he's like Oh we're going to have, um, I'll make you spotted dick or something And Poirot was like <laughs> <laughs> Spotted
5: dick? Truly <laughs> disgusted What's that thing in the bathroom Poirot? Come on
0: Like a, um,
5: a foot bath uh, The bidet Oh a bidet It's got a sort of fountain thing in the middle, what's that for? Uh, it
2: is of no significance Nearly got a squirt in the eye when I turn it on <laughs> It is best not to tamper with it, Chief Inspector. It is broken. I will get the food. must say, I'm looking forward to this, Miss
1: Lemon. You look like a man in need of his dinner, Chief Inspector. That thing in the bathroom,
2: though. It is best not to bother, Miss Lemon, with the deficiencies of our plumbing, Chief
4: Inspector. And also, there's a, there's a great episode called The Chocolate Box, where mm. um, they go to Belgium together, don't they? Because Jap's going to receive this award. Yeah. And you watch him totally change like all the way through but as well you don't ever get the sense that Jap's a stupid policeman you get the feeling like he figures things out for himself and he's a very successful man because he's solved lots of cases so there is a mutual respect for their different skill sets but um, when the, when he goes to Belgium to collect kind of, this award and Poirot goes with him, he he turns into this oh, going like that, and he sort of straightens up, and everyone he meets is like, "Hello, sir, it's very good to me," and you're like, oh, "Such a great character!" I mean, and so perfectly performed by Philip Jackson. I say, like, he, yeah, he's definitely
3: because he's so as you say, he's likable through his st- stiffness. It's just yeah, it's. A, Delightful performance.
4: He's always mentioned fourth, isn't he? You know, in that list of four yeah. um, recurring characters. But um, I mean, I mean, you couldn't do the series without any of them, really. No. And when they do disappear later on yeah. in the more modern series, it, it does feel slightly emptier, I would say.
3: There's a loss.
4: But even though the mysteries are great, the stories are great, David Suchet is always great, and the guest stars they have are fantastic. But I was so over the moon when they brought them all back. For the big four. I was like, oh.
3: They had to for the last ones. Um, but one that's one of the things I love about the TV, the early episodes in particular, is that often, like, Jap is written into a story that he's not in in the book. But it's great because you're always happy to see Inspector Jap. Yeah. So I'll take, you know, write him into everything. For, in every show, not even Poirot, just write him into every show ever. And I'd be very, very happy. Yep.
4: They should put him into everything. Game of Thrones. Yeah. yeah Simpsons, everything. <laughs> They're great <in> the Simpsons.
3: <laughs> and interesting, I think David Touchet said before, uh he before he played Poirot, he actually played Inspector Jap, I think, in another yeah. adaptation. Which is yeah. like that is mind boggling. That's so wrong.
4: Yeah, I remember I remember seeing that actually and yeah, Oh really? Yeah, I remember thinking, This is uh, I don't like it. <laughs> Stop it.
3: <laughs> <laughs> wrong. No. Yeah.
4: Out. My poor job I'm afraid your presentation of the case revolts
5: the intelligence. It doesn't revolt mine. Oh, I've got to get back to her flat. I've got a few more questions for a ladyship now. Hastings and I will accompany you. I don't want you to. It's on our way. I don't. Care. Resign yourself to the fact that from now on, everywhere you go is on our way.
3: <laughs> we should probably actually talk about the very first episode now. We've
4: yeah,
5: I'm, yeah, let's do so much. <laughs> Um,
3: know, but the, this thing, we could talk about this. I could just chat about the elements of it forever without going to any specific episodes.
4: <laughs> just, yeah, just like gushing over them, like, as you say. Mm.
3: Mm. Yeah, ruining his suit all <laughs> the <before we're> gushing.
4: <laughs> well, we're going to have plenty of opportunities to do that. because so I think there are a couple of episodes of this.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
4: Anyway, thank you so much for doing this because I put a call out on social media a little while ago. I was watching them on a Sunday afternoon and I was thinking, oh, God, words cannot express how much I. Love this show. So, I wonder if anyone would want to make a Poirot podcast, but not a Poirot podcast. I want to do it specifically about the David Suchet TV series because there are far more learned, but I didn't really want to go back to the books and that kind of thing. But I've seen every episode, must be 20 times each. <laughs> and your name was quickly mentioned. It was like, oh, speak to Frankie, speak to Frankie. So, we got in touch and we've since become very good friends. I can't believe how perfect you are for this show because you are the biggest Poirot nut Thank you. I've ever met.
3: <laughs> well, yeah, first of all, going back to your, your, you put this tweet out and I think you basically summoned me. You basically <laughs> went into a dark room, said my name three times in a mirror and turned off the light. And then I appeared <laughs> <bit laughs> <You> because <did. laughs> you tweeted out saying, I want to do a podcast about... Poirot, specifically David Zujo Poirot. And I think, and I was scared that you thought I'd hired some bots to just spam <laughs> you with my name. <laughs> because all the all of my lovely friends on Twitter, I'll give a shout out to Jamie Smart in particular, he was the first one to be like, um, I think, I think this is you <laughs> he's talking about. And then a few other people like, oh my god, if you're Frankie, you've got to do this. So I then emailed you and tried not to sound too insane, which is hard, given my level of, obsession with Poro.
4: Also hard because you were in the ceiling of David Suchet's house at the time.
3: The The Wi-Fi is not good up there you know. Um, (laughs) um, But yeah it was uh, so yeah it's all worked out beautifully from my perspective. I'm very excited and honoured that you'd let me me even talk about this.
4: This is like you know such a dream to do and you are such a dream to do it with over the moon very kind well
3: likewise (laughs) god no i'm thrilled and i yeah as you've as you've alluded to i'm quite into poirot like totally casual about it. it's not really a big deal uh yeah i have a few poirot tattoos i walk down to walk down the aisle at my wedding to the theme music because it is the greatest theme music of all time that's a whole other yeah
4: i mean (laughs) we've got plenty of opportunities to discuss the music oh i can't wait
3: and the the credits and god um, and yeah, I, yeah I've yeah, i been to see him a couple of times, casually, like totally cool, not weird about it at all. Um, and I have yeah, all the books, obviously, and just generally anything with Poirot's face or whatever, David Touche's Poirot specifically, um, I will probably own or put on my body in some way, <laughs> at least. Have so, you ever thought yeah. about
4: having a Poirot moustache tattoo? Yeah, 100% have
3: you You're considering my my foreign heritage i you'd think naturally i could probably grow one but turns out no which is a disappointment <laughs> that i face every day um but i yeah i i have had to settle for a couple of them tattooed upon my person not on my face because um i just think i couldn't pull it off in the same way that he does but maybe one day maybe as i age i'll grow one <laughs>
4: <laughs> you should pay tribute and wax your eyebrows
3: oh yeah you think I could I mean we can talk about his moustache that's a whole other thing as well is the evolution of Poirot's moustache
4: shall I as a challenge grow a moustache from this moment until our last episode yes and slowly shape it into a Poirot moustache
3: nothing would make me happier I feel like you could get some some tips from your friend Kev who's got a cracking (laughs) moustache
4: yeah that's very true Ooh.
3: Maybe he could give you some guidance.
4: Well, I think... Some offcuts. It might be. <laughs> He's got very different colour hair <laughs> to me, obviously. Yeah. And a and It might look good. I might just not tell them, see if see what they say, because we do speak regularly on Zoom calls. Mm. They say, what's that moustache I'm talking about? What was that, this?
3: <laughs> Can you dye it dark as well? Yeah. Okay. Great.
4: You literally want me to do this?
3: Yeah, 100%. No, you've committed to it now and everybody knows. And um, Okay. <laughs> can't wait to watch the progress.
4: Yeah, me too. We're <laughs> trying to I've been trying to go and start for forty years. It hasn't worked, so,
3: <laughs> but now we, now you have a purpose. Maybe that's what it's needed this whole time.
4: There's going to be that period though where I look.
3: Yeah, it's just the price you've got to pay. You can't go near schools, but you're going to look so sharp.
4: What do I win if I do this? By the
3: way, adoration and respect.
4: Oh, that's what I've always wanted. So. <laughs> Good Because you haven't got any of that already. So, unfortunately,
3: yeah. don't like it. <laughs> <laughs>
4: first episode, which aired in 1989, January the 8th.
3: Cast your minds back. Yes. I, I was three. I was... <laughs> you were... Yes. How old are you? 42?
4: <laughs> I was at my retirement party when this was on.
3: What were the dinosaurs like, Adam? <laughs> You're not even old. I feel old. I feel a lot older than I am. That's one of the things I think, why like, Iwera resonates with me, and the Christie resonates with me, because I feel like an old lady. I feel like Miss Marple.
4: Well, you've very kindly showed me the house that you and your husband are buying, yes. and it does have a bit of a Christy
3: vibe? It's a thirties house. Yes. Mm. Cannot wait. It's cool. I'm going to store Dissolve myself words. into your
4: ceiling. <laughs> anyway, the first episode, which aired on January the eighth, nineteen eighty nine, was yes. the adventure of the Clapham Cook. Yes. Do you want to do a brief brief run through of the plot? Oh,
3: I feel like you should do it because your voice is so much better than mine. But I'll oh, give it a go.
4: <laughs> well, just, we well, just just do the IMDb tagline for the episode. Do you know it? Not
3: off the top of my head.
4: Okay, <laughs> I well, why not? <laughs> Call yourself
3: <laughs> My commitment. I know, I'm so sorry.
4: Um, um, well, I've got it here. The IMDb description is, Poirot probes the disappearance of a wealthy woman's cook and soon uncovers an elaborate plot to hide an even darker crime.
3: That is a good description. A very
4: good description, actually. So, where do you want to start? The beginning. Go on, then. <laughs>
3: it's a very good description. <laughs> Well, I think the one thing missing from that the synopsis is basically the very, very beginning of it. I mean, you see a man very nefariously tying up a trunk with rope and he's really pulling it. And you're like, oh, is he strangling someone? What's he doing? No, he's just trying a trunk, tying a trunk up. But then it cuts to, you see Whitehaven mansions for the first time and there's all its glory. Quaro's beautiful apartment building where he lives. Stunning art deco design. We could talk about the curves of that building for <laughs>
4: something about that building, isn't
3: it? I mean, it's bordering on erotic. I should probably stop. We'll add in.
4: Smoosh my body against
3: it. hmm <laughs> Just... F- yeah. all the way <laughs> you remember this is an audio medium, right? <laughs> <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> but, <laughs> no. But, yeah, it's a yeah, beautiful building, and it, it opens up with Poirot and Hastings, and Hastings is going through the paper, trying to find a case to entice Poirot, um, because he's had a bit of a bit of a lull lately in his caseload and nothing's inspiring him it's all boring and he's fed up and he wants something good and he's got but he's got a long list of tasks that he needs to do important stuff like you know pomade his moustache get his suit cleaned all the essential stuff that you know a man about town needs to have done
4: well as i know yeah i'm getting my collars and cuffs
3: done <laughs> and you're gonna know soon with your moustache it's very exciting can't wait to see that. Me
4: too. Coming to get on all the registers.
3: <laughs> yeah, i will say you, you can't take your kids to school, but they're too old for school anyway now anyway, so you're fine.
4: Yeah, it's one saving grace. <laughs>
2: Mysterious suicide, absconding bank clerk, missing typers. But I am not greatly attracted to any of them, me. I have many affairs of importance of my own to attend to. Such as? Um, my wardrobe, Hastings. If I mistake not, there is on my new gray suit the spot of grease. You have noticed it, perhaps, huh?
6: No. No?
2: Well, well, it's only the one spot, you understand, but it is sufficient to trouble me. Then there is my winter overcoat. I must lay him aside in the powder of Keatings. And I think... Yes... I think the moment is right for the trimming of the moustache
3: and then basically he gets a visit from a very angry little woman <laughs> mrs todd
4: so glad you described her like that not me i would have had letters
3: you can't describe <laughs> women that way you are <laughs> you're so cancelled now mrs todd I, I think if anybody watches the episode will see that mrs todd is not the most pleasant of women so hmm. um i don't think she represents womankind in general um, but she comes in and she basically wants him to help find her missing cook. And is a little bit dismissive at first, a little bit snobby. He does have his snobby elements to him because he's the great Hercule Poirot.
4: Famously, yes, yes. Yes.
3: So why would he waste his time finding a domestic cook? And she makes a very impassioned speech about how a cook is just as valuable as, as anything, as diamonds, I think,
1: or something like that, she says. I'll tell you what I want you to do for me. I want you to find my cook.
2: I fear you are making a mistake, madame. Hercule Poirot is a private detective.
1: I know that. Haven't I just told you I want you to find my cook for me? Walked out of the house on Wednesday without so much as a barrier or leave and never came back.
2: I am sorry, madame, but I do not touch that particular kind of business. I wish you good
4: day. There's a beautiful moment actually when he, because he does dismiss her, he's just, Hastings has just said something along the lines of, well, there's a jewel robbery, there's a, you know, there's a heist thing that's happened. He's like, no, no, no. She throws it back at him and says, a good cook's a good cook and you're very high and mighty. Mm -hmm. And there's a beautiful moment where he, he sort of stiffens, Mm. you know, takes the insult on board. Yeah. And. It just like melts him, doesn't it?
3: Mm. It's a beautiful moment. He's so good. He's so good. And this is the thing, and that's why I think his Poirot is so perfect in his representation of it, because Poirot is vastly superior to all of us. That's just a fact. He just is. Because he's so intelligent and he's so worldly and you know, his genius is is visible. But he's not rude. He is not a rude man. He's all about manners and proper etiquette and decorum. And I think he recognised in that moment that he was being a bit of a dick.
4: Yeah, it's like, I, I don't deal with this kind of business. I'm really sorry that's hurt you. Yeah. Let me apologise. And, and yeah, yeah. It's, it, like you say, that's a very well-written character and it's very well played as well. It's not, Yeah, he's not a caricature at all. No. You do imagine he's going to be at the beginning when he's doing, no, no, and he's sitting there with the thing. But he humanises himself at every opportunity.
2: I am sorry, madame, but I do not touch that particular kind of business. I wish you good day.
1: So that's it, is it? Too proud, eh? Only deal with government secrets and countess's jewels. Well, let me tell you, Mr. High and Mighty Poirot, a good cook's a good cook. And when you lose one, it's as much to you as pearls are to some fine lady.
2: <laughs> Mother, you are in the right and I am in the wrong. Your remarks are just and intelligent. This case would be a novelty, Hastings. Never before have we hunted a missing domestic. Truly, here is the problem of national importance. Honourable, where do you reside, Mrs. Dodd?
1: 88 Prince Albert Road to
3: Clapham. And that's, David Stur- and that's David Suchet, I think, bringing that in mm. in particular, yeah, because, I mean, you yeah, know, definitely. you watch Albert Finney, you watch David Peter office adaptations, and they're just quite mean as Poirot's. They're mm. very dismissive, they're judgy people, have, and they know that they're smarter than everyone, and they're quite happy to say it in a very brash way. But whereas Poirot is all about, he, and, and particularly he's you know, he speaks to people of all classes in every episode, and he's... You know, polite and warm to a fault. Unless someone's rude to him, like he will treat everyone with the utmost respect and he respects human life. That's the whole point. And I think that's the warmth that David Suchet brings to that, to his character.
4: Demonstrated many times in this first series, especially. Yes. It's always the servants or the housemaids, the house help and the staff yes. that he charms, first of all, yeah. especially in this episode. He, he always charms them, uh, and gets the most information out of them, treats mm-hmm. them like people instead of servants or pets like the the owners of the houses do yes um and as well he's an ex-policeman he didn't come from money or anything he's not upper class no just a very polite well ordered man who knows what he likes definitely a hint of ocd there <laughs> oh just a smidge yeah there's there's
3: a smidge, Ooh, a tiny bit. but also there is he i think as a ex-policeman he knows that if you want to get the information that you need out of people you know, particularly the the servants and things in the houses are the ones that see everything. They're the ones with all the information. The way to get that is to be nice to people and to be engaging and warm and build a rapport with people instead of just demanding and shouting questions at them. He knows you get a better response. Like, and and in this episode, we will get onto it in a bit, but he speaks to Annie, the maid, and she basically falls for him big time. He flatters her. And she says some silly things. but He totally indulges her and, and he gets everything he needs as a result.
2: Sit yourself. Thank you, sir. All that you shall tell us will be of the greatest importance, Annie. You alone can shed any light on the case. Without you, I can do nothing.
1: Oh, sir, I'm sure I'll tell you anything I can, sir.
2: That is good. Now, first of all, what is your own idea? You are a girl of remarkable intelligence that can be seen at once. But this is a queer thing, eh? What is your own explanation of Eliza's disappearance?
1: White slaver, sir. Uh-huh. I've said so all along, sir. Only no one will listen. Cook was always warning me against them. Don't you go sniffing no scent, nor eating no sweets, no matter how gentlemanly the fellow.
2: Ah, this is something we had not thought of, Hastings.
4: No.
3: Right. Good heavens. He knows people, and you can tell.
4: It happens again in the next episode, actually. Yeah. We'll, we'll talk about that. But again, it's, it's always the, the kids playing in the street or the
3: yes.
4: understairs under staff that provide the vital clue. And Whereas Jap is always a man who's sort of, right, then my lad, you know, is always ch- chest puffed out, <laughs> yeah. using his power and authority to get what he wants. Um, that's yes. Generally, that kind of approach doesn't work with anyone, Mm-mm. even in this episode, Hastings does a bit of chest puffing out when he speaks to the porter near the end of the episode. Yes. (laughs) Um, And gets like, (laughs) 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 so we'll get to him. But um, yeah. Anyway, to continue with the plot, I think Poirot takes the case of the missing cook because he feels bad for having insulted Mrs. Todd. Yes. Goes to her house and instantly begins to recognise that something is wrong in the house, not just the missing cook. There seems to be some kind of, something is not sitting right with him, especially in the room of her paying guest, the lodger. Mr. Simpson.
3: That. Mr. Simpson. Sometimes that's my little accent. Mr. Maybe. Simpson. <laughs> Very offensive to the people listening. I can only apologise for our French-Belgian listeners. There are many. <laughs>
4: anyway, so he goes to the house, um, discovers that something is up in the room of Mr. Simpson, who works at a bank. Yes. And upon further investigation, Poirot uh, uncovers the fact that one of his co-workers at the bank, Mr. Davis... Yeah, Mr. Davis has disappeared with fifty thousand pounds of securities,
3: which in today's currency is approximately thirty quid. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
6: Ah, my dear
2: Chief Inspector. Jarre.
0: After the reward, I eh, pray. Mm-hmm.
2: Oh no, 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 no! No, I am engaged on quite a different case. And what would this different case be then? Ah oh, well, now there is such a thing as client confidentiality, Chief Inspector let me just say that this case I am engaged on is of national importance well I'm glad to hear it Poirot someone was trying to tell me you'd gone into the missing domestics business no no I said not Poirot I said hard times or not he wouldn't fall that far
4: Um, we can't really say much more about the plot without spoiling it. Can we?
3: This is the thing. I don't know how deep we want to go into it, mm. but I do want to mention there is a moment when he's speaking to Mr. Todd where Poirot gets uncomfortably close to him.
4: <laughs> oh, Mr. Simpson, you mean? <laughs> oh,
3: sorry, yes, yeah, sorry, Mr. Todd's the... the I was going to say, there the is, is a great scene Disney. with Mr.
4: Todd, <laughs> He just sits yeah. down and pours himself a drink and they're both going... <laughs>
3: <laughs> you see Hastings' heart break visibly yeah. on the screen. The exact moment, like in The Simpsons, where his heart breaks and there's yeah. no drink for him. Yeah, um, yeah, that is true. But the bit I was thinking about is Mr. Simpson when he goes up to... And he's basically like nose to nose with him, practically.
4: Like one inch yeah. from... from- Full sex. Yeah, and he...
3: I'm yeah. <laughs> kissing. And he asks him about his... If he's done amateur dramatics or something. Have you been in the theatre? And he's like, no. no. Tell me,
2: Mr Simpson, what does a young fellow find to do around here of an evening? Huh? Oh, the usual things, you know. Oh, with musical evenings, amateur theatricals, that kind of thing? Yes, I suppose so. But you do not interest yourself, hmm? <laughs> Afraid
4: not. <laughs> no. Thank you. It's very left field, and also Suchet plays that again as another perfect moment where he sort of looks at him and sort of goes to turn, but then looks back, and it, it's very subtle. Yeah. But it's very uh, perfectly played. You can tell that he's noticed something. Mm. And- Then he asks him this really strange question. Yeah. How much of dramatics.
3: But again, see that's, that's obviously quite a significant part of the narrative. And Agatha Christie makes sure that, you know, in the the writing and in the the adaptation, they make sure you notice it because you're not going to forget David Touche Eskimo kissing.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you haven't. (laughs) Well, clearly I'm just very jealous. (laughs) Um, But
3: yeah, it's a, it's a fun moment. And yeah, he's, there's so many fun little moments like that. I mean, you could easily dismiss it. as like, oh, it's it's so quirky, my goodness. But it's nothing's mm. nothing's ever everything that Poirot does is meticulously calculated, and it's for mm. the the gain of knowledge and insight, and that's why mm. it's so so good. God damn, he's good.
4: So he is. Yes, God damn it. God damn. Um, the first clue comes from Annie, the housemaid, as as we say. Um, She describes the events leading up to the disappearance of the cook, who just vanished one day, Mm -hmm. um, sent for her things. Um, So the mystery then becomes, what happened to Mr. Davis and his £50,000 of securities? What happened to the cook and why did she go in the middle of the night? And how are the two things linked? It seems to be through Mr. Simpson, but... We don't know how. Yeah. And that is the mystery.
3: And that's where also the crossover happens, because in the book, Jap isn't in the book. Right. But he's mentioned in the book because he says, please don't tell Inspector Jap that I'm investigating a disappearing disappeared cook, because that's you know far too inferior for the likes yeah. of me. Um, and then he goes to the bank and he sees, Jap sees him, and you can see the amusement on his face where he's like, ha. it's true I've heard rumour that you're investigating the disappearance of a cook and yeah, Poirot tries to hide himself oh so good but um, yeah so there is that overlap with the bank and then there's this that's when you know as they alluded to in the synopsis that you read there's something darker going on
4: yes there there is it turns out there's um, an even more insidious crime that's taken place um, that connects the two things together
3: and arguably the most insidious crime of all is the there's a moment where I'm not going to spoil too much but show do we do we go on and talk about the fact that they do find the cook
4: yeah well I mean I mean I I think it's fair to say Poirot solves what happens to the (laughs) this is all done in 45 minutes because the genius of this of these earlier episodes is that they crammed entire stories down to you know an hour with breaks so that's about 45 minutes but yeah I mean Poirot of course he wins the day you find out what's happened to the cook You find out what's happened to the securities, you find out what's happened to Mr. Davis, and you find out how Mr. Simpson is involved in everything.
3: Shockingly genius. Of course it is, because it's from the mind of Michael Christie. But the bit I was referring to, the most probably the worst crime in the whole episode, is um, when the cook is basically explaining that she disappeared because uh, an Australian lawyer approached her and told her that she was entitled to a house in Keswick and a lot of money, Um, But she can't be in domestic service in order to get these things. So that's one of the reasons why she disappears. But the biggest crime of all is this guy's Australian accent, because Jesus Christ. (laughs) It's absolutely
1: terrible. Now, Miss
2: Dunn, to business. I do have to tell you that the house is in Kiswick.
1: Ah, that's just over by Acton, isn't it, sir?
2: Now, Miss Dunn, it's in the north of England, near Carlisle.
1: Oh, my good God.
2: Uh, but before we confront that particular difficulty, there is one other stipulation that we should get out of the way.
1: Whatever's that, sir?
2: Well, it's of no importance as it doesn't apply in this case, thank heaven. It's just a stipulation that you should not be in domestic service. Oh. Whatever's the madam has done?
1: I'm a cook, sir. Didn't I tell you at the house?
2: Done. I had no idea. This is very unfortunate.
3: There's a bit later on as well where basically David O'Jays like, you know that that wasn't really an Australian accent. That wasn't really Australian. And, and Hastings is just flabbergasted. Like, wait a second. It's like obviously he wasn't there to hear yeah. how bad it was. But you know, there was
4: no Australian. Fun. He says. Mr. Yes. <laughs> there So good.
3: It's so good. There are so many, there are some really good withering put downs in this episode as well. We've missed a couple already from the beginning. Go on. From Mrs. Todd. Go on,
6: please do. Mrs.
3: Todd, when she first meets Poirot for the first time, and she says, she starts off, Poirot loves flattery, that's mm. a fact. So she starts off saying like, oh, you're the famous detective, I read about you in the paper. And then she says... Oh, did you pay for that bit in the paper saying how clever you are? <laughs> or did they put that in their, their, themselves? And you can see his face drop, which is <laughs> possibly why he's a bit rude to her to begin with, because he's like, hey, <laughs> come on, Mrs. George.
1: Are you Mr. Poirot?
2: I am Hercule Poirot, yes, madam.
1: Oh, you're not a bit how I thought you'd be. <laughs> did you pay for that bit in the paper saying what a clever detective you were, or did they put it in themselves? Madame... Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sure. But you know what newspapers are like nowadays. Nothing but puff.
4: <gasps> Le sick burn, I think that's got to be. Oh,
3: is that, is, that the, is that the Belgian French for it? No,
4: it's Flemish, don't check. Le sick burn. So, yeah, um, I think that's got to be the sickest burn. There's always a, a very good put-down you know, in all of these episodes, I especially like the, the porter at the end. It's just constant. It calls um, <laughs> it calls Hastings. You know, I don't talk to the, the monkey, I talk to the organ grinder. No, no, I've
3: got it, I've got it. I'm talking to the engineer, not the oil rag. Yeah. <laughs> something like that. Savage. <laughs> oui. Are
2: you looking for this bloke or something?
4: Well, of course we're looking
2: for him. I'm talking to the engineer, not the oil rag. Now look here. No, no,
4: but like, the the standard, all the, the, the quality of their scripts, all the way through. Every episode is so strong, and they don't just, as I say, they're not just um, avatars who pop up and solve a crime and go home. They develop in in all kinds of amazing ways throughout every episode. Poirot and Jap have their own relationship. Jap and Hastings have their own relationship. Hastings and Miss Lemon have their own relationship. Even Jap and Miss Lemon have their own relationship. Poirot and Miss Lemon just... There's some Uh. such amazing, amazing writing in this, especially in... I now keep harping on about this episode, In the Dream. Yeah. It's the one where Miss Lemon is inadvertently responsible for solving the crime and you think she's going to get this incredible reward at the end. I won't spoil it. but (laughs) (laughs) It's (laughs) it's absolutely brilliant.
3: Yeah. And it shows you that Poirot is not quite as clever as he thinks he is sometimes. He's <laughs> it doesn't perce- not quite as perceptive as he likes to believe at all times. Mm. But there is there some great conversation between Hastings and Poirot in that one. Where there's that bit where Hastings is like, I was thinking of popping down to Sandown because he loves the races. Mm. And Poirot goes, no, you do not pop. <laughs> <laughs> and you, Hastings, do
2: not you run away with such celerity? I have work for you too.
4: Oh, uh... Matter of fact, I was thinking of popping down to Sandown this afternoon. No, no,
2: no. You do not
4: pop. Oh, well, there's a horse running a pal of mine owns a leg of.
2: Well, when he owns four legs, I pop with you.
4: But
3: now
2: it's time for work, yes? As for me, I pop
4: to the city of London.
3: Pop. It's <laughs> <laughs> so much better with a French accent, a Belgian accent. <laughs>
4: Jesus. Thank you. It's very <laughs> <effective. No. laughs> there's definitely <laughs> There's definitely a pound coin being held in place a certain scene on the bridge
3: yes yeah when they, they've left i believe they've finished their interrogation at the household at the todd household and they're walking back and discussing it and straight away as well that hastings is like oh, i think mr todd did it and he's like not just because he didn't offer you a drink <laughs> hastings <laughs> that doesn't necessarily mean but yeah he's a but yeah he's a. Uh, you can really see the full glory of the mints, and you think how far up is the coin at this stage is it secure? I
4: think he might have swallowed it, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I think Comes out his David, mouth. you never see David Suchet on a trampoline. I think that's because he would just <laughs> it'd be like shaking the piggy bank. <laughs> 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 quite quite a few times it's happened what do you think
3: oh, yes yeah, so let's
4: discuss it's that on a Poirot <laughs> <Yes, I'm respectful>.
3: book <laughs> I'm so sorry if David C. ever listened to this but it's out of respect for the craft yeah, that yeah. we mentioned these we just we're
4: just wowed by your method
3: <laughs> oh my god he must have buns of steel truly <laughs> <Like> Claud- <laughs> <laughs> he's been doing that workout that Claudia Schiffer Cindy Crawford one. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you know what he's doing <laughs>
4: What do you think of the fact that they chose this for the first episode? Do you think it's a strong enough one to kick things off?
3: I think it establishes the relationships really well within the mm-hmm. four, like you say. Um, you Because as we say, they've added Jap in. He's not in the original book. But you get a really clear introduction of who everyone is, what their role is, kind of within the setup and the dynamic of their relationships. And you get a soft introduction to, I guess, the kinds of crime that you'll see in an Agatha Christie story, where it's... You know, it's, there are some brutal murders, but you never see anything gory, and you never actually see. I mean, actually, there is quite a gruesome reveal at one point where they open and they find the body. Yeah, and it's a little bit like, oh goodness, that's a little bit a bit upsetting
6: mm, for Sunday um, evening. But
3: nothing. Yes, my goodness. <laughs> um So uh yeah, I think it's a good. It's an inch We've discussed before when we talked about doing this, and mm. um, how it was an interesting choice to start with short stories for the first. Ten episodes because mm. it's such a rich catalogue, and there are such big name books, you know, like *Murder in the Orange Express* and *Death on the Nile*. Like really big, well known Agatha Christie. So they could have, you know, gone in with a big one right off the bat, but they chose to start with these short stories. What do you? Why do you think they did that?
4: I couldn't say, but it makes me inordinately glad that they did mm. because I think if they'd started with *Mysterious Affair at Styles*, which you know chronologically would have been yes first book i think that would have been great but i love the fact that they kept it for an anniversary option made it a full-length thing um Mm -hmm. because it was almost like we know who they are already and now let's show you how they met kind of thing i think it would have been a bit pat Mm. if they'd done it chronologically Mm. but um i love the fact that they do the short stories i think it makes it really palatable really really easy to get into um and the mysteries there's mm. not an ounce of fat in any of these things every single scene's important even at the beginning where they're talking about the the grease spot on his jacket and you have no, 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 no. I mean, just it, it tells you everything you need to know about their relationships like you say it's a very i wonder if they filmed all 10 and said which one would work best to wear first i mean there must have been an element yeah, to that, possibly. i think um i think it's a good
3: choice yeah absolutely i think it's potentially as well for they spent a lot of money on them, clearly, but they thought maybe we'll just dip our toe in and see what the audience response is with these short ones. And then if people become hooked, which everybody did, um, then we'll go big and go with the big stories and give them that big production value that they deserve, really. Because the big ones don't come until way later on in the mm. series. Like they're kind of the latter end and it is when they start getting a bit even bigger budget, bigger name stars and all that kind of thing, that they go for the big ones. But, um, yeah, no, I'm, thank God they started, like, thank God they did these ones, because it's, yeah, incredible.
4: As well, if they'd gone full length from the beginning, it would have been
3: kind
4: of, I don't know, it would have been really hard to do the smaller stories. Like, yeah. imagine doing... Clapham Cook or yes. Murder in the Muse yeah, or something right. later right. when you've done Death on the Nile and parallel End House and things like that.
3: So, I'm sorry to be crude, but you don't want to like blow your load too early, right? <laughs>
4: <laughs> well, that's the general rule, yeah.
3: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> with the TV shows. Um, so you don't want to, maybe, that's, maybe that was the thinking, is if we start big, then no one's going to care about the smaller ones. Mm. And, yeah, exactly. Whereas it, this built the love.
4: Yeah, it does. It's like you get to see them at home. I love it.
3: God, I just want to go watch more and more and more. I it. say it's the perfect show, isn't it? To just come home and just put on.
4: It really is. Yeah, it can. It works for anything. You can watch it in the evening, in the afternoon, while you're making dinner, like I do.
3: Very good. It's the thing. It's funny. It's sweet because their relationship is really loving and caring for each other. It can be quite scary at points. It can be quite thrilling and stressful. And it's just yeah. It's not. It's everything. It's just perfect. Yeah, I hope people don't mind the fact that basically every episode is just going to be us oh isn't it good it's so good it's just oh my god it's amazing (laughs) like there's not going to be any kind of harsh criticism because it's impossible to criticise
4: it's the best perfect TV show ever made yeah plus at the backbone of every episode you have the fantastic mysteries of oh, Agatha Christie brought to life by a once-in-a-lifetime yeah. cast. There's literally no other time in history that could have been made Mm-mm. that would have worked as well. There's no one else who could have played these characters as well as these people play them.
3: Oh, ble- I clearly ble- Branner. <laughs> <laughs> we had to mention it. <laughs> Sorry, and I swore as well. Um, yeah, no, he- perfection achieved. Mm,
4: absolutely. So, I mean, we'll delve into people more next time. We'll delve into the next episode. But obviously, I think from both of us, it's a hard recommend. If you haven't watched Borrow before and you're new to it and you're perhaps thinking, it's a series I've always spotted in the schedules. and never really dipped my toe. If you live in the UK, mm. 100% you will have seen at least one episode in your life because it's just on a loop all the time. And, it's
3: an institution.
4: Yeah. Adventure of the Clap and Cook is the first episode. And think it's a very good one to start with because it nails, like I say, it nails all the intricacies of his character. I think, yeah, the snobby part, you get the um, the OCD part, you get Hastings at his I say best, and you get <laughs> Jap, and you get Miss Lemon, and it's yeah, it's a really good. One. That's another Plus really it good. It starts one. small and it ends really big.
3: Yeah, so, you're, there's a really small. iconic moment when oh, I'm not going to spoil it, but yeah, it's worth watching just for that. Lot. That's one. Name that he shouts at the end. Oh, it's brilliant. Shivers down the spine. It's so good. <laughs> um, but it's, I think, if you. If you do want to watch it, people listening, Um, I think it's all on Britbox from what I hear, which I think is available in other countries as well, but it's well worth it. And if you think as well, I think what Agatha Christie sometimes gets a reputation for being a bit soft and fluffy. yeah. And there are definitely, there's a bit of soft fluff around the edges, but if there is, it's such a rich story. The genius of the writing, it makes it worth it. And just even just to look at the sets, the costume, the production of it, it's, definitely worth a watch you won't regret it especially on a sunday afternoon like you say if you're cooking or you just want to relax at the end of a long day you can't go wrong i think you'll love it
4: it's very hard to watch one as well especially of these shorter ones oh yeah like it's if you're watching series one you're like oh let's watch another one because they always end on these moments as well that make Mm -hmm. you go god i love this show so much and if you're like me a nostalgia lover It's just Mm -hmm. a visual feast. You'll watch it once for the mystery. You'll watch it the second time for for Suchet and the moments you missed. You'll watch it for the third time for all the detail. And it just boggles the mind how they managed to fill an entire street full of 1920s automobiles and how they had people walking in the distance in authentic period costume. It's, oh, God. Incredible. It's an incredible achievement, I have to say. It's one of the things I will always forgive ITV for anything because they Mm. made the Poirot series and the fact that they stuck it out and kept paying so they could put every single episode out there is what an achievement and
3: it was it was a great investment for them because from what I you know from seeing David Suchet live in his house and also on stage um, <laughs> on he um, <laughs> it's it's syndicated all over the world I think it's translated into you know hundreds of languages at this point and it's got a huge international appeal like, I think people in like Japan know David Suchet's Poirot it's, Yeah it's a huge thing so it's yeah i mean itv you would think no the itv in the in the uk hasn't got the best reputation for making the hardest hitting you know big budget thrillers or anything but they they saw a um a, a genius kind of route to take that would last a lifetime and it's still showing all the time because they know people will still watch it and that's why it's genius and and Poirot more so than Marple, I would say, even, because Marple's been successful, but not in the same way as the Poirot series mm. has for them.
4: No. It's slightly harder to connect with Miss Marple, though, I find. Mm. I mean, the um, TV... Because you hate old ladies? <laughs> yeah, famously. <laughs> 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 you know, don't mention old ladies you know, around me. Um, <laughs> the rage. <laughs> um, yeah, because oh, also, as well, she tends to do things on her own in stories. And she's very mm. quiet and very passive, and she doesn't tend to, like, interjects until the she's end a listener. yeah she's a listener mm. um but with poirot mm. he's a bit more dynamic he's out there he's solving it he's got friends and they're all brilliant as well so
3: yeah and he's qualified to solve crime where she's actually just an old lady like yeah. i love Marple, but <laughs> she's like she's just a nosy old woman <laughs> yeah.
4: serious imposter syndrome
3: yeah seriously and they all just like by the end of it the police are like yeah okay let's let the old lady do it <laughs> she's good but she doesn't have any qualifications she doesn't really have any yeah, reason to be there. David Souchier, mm. Poirot, he's head of the Belgian police.
4: He gets a big Souchier.
3: <sighs> there you go.
4: That's how we could rate the episodes. We could give them a Souchier or a Souchnay. Although I don't think we'll ever use Souchnay. They're
3: going to get a Souchier every time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think so. It's going to be a souche. And that, when I emailed you about doing this podcast, and I put my subject line, which I really debated doing or not, my husband was like, don't do it. I'm like, oh, i really want to though. And I put David Souche, hey, in the subject line.
4: I didn't even need to read the email. I was like, sold.
3: <laughs> Thank God. Thank God you understand.
4: <laughs> yeah. Adventure of the Clapham Cook, then. It's a hard souché from both
3: of us. Case closed.
4: I do kinda want to gush about it a bit more, but I think, you know, we've been on quite a while. For about an hour now and it is an opener. And you can't really spoil the mysteries.
3: this is the thing. I think if we say any more, then we're just gonna be reading out the entire episode. Like (laughs) just doing it. So maybe maybe we save that, like you say.
4: Yeah, there's plenty more to talk about. I definitely wanna dig more into the music maybe next time
3: as well. Okay, well, let's do that in the next one and the, and the credits and everything. Yeah. Uh,
4: well, then, for this inaugural episode, Investigation from the Labour cool it's been fabulous spending some time with you, Frankie.
3: Likewise. Thank you so much.
4: And um, we'll see you on the next episode for Murder in the Muse. Oh,
3: exciting. Amu- very amusing. Oh, just, <laughs> I knew it.
4: I knew it. So Yeah,
1: If you'd
3: like to keep up to date with what we're doing or get in touch with us you can follow us on twitter at labors hercule we're also on instagram if you like pictures at labors of hercule and if you were born in the 1920s yourself then you can be all old-fashioned and email us at bonjour at the labors that's it from us see you next time au revoir mes amis